Our first reading is from the Old Testament. It's Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 6. The glory of Zion. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from St. Matthew's. Matthew. And it's on page 914. Please stand if you can. The Magi visit the Messiah. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them 
until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And so to the one God, the only God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be all honor, praise, and glory be, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let's be seated. Well, here we are at the start of a new year, so happy new year to you all. I hope it is going to be a good new year and a peaceful new year. But I wonder how you feel about this new year. Are you hopeful? Are you looking for good things this year? Are you excited by what might happen? Or are you fearful? Are there things that you're a bit worried might come up this year? A new year brings many possibilities. So what will the new year hold for our church family? We are just moving from the Christmas season into the season of Epiphany in the church's year. Epiphany in my dictionary is described as a sudden or great revelation. The revelation we heard about in our gospel reading was the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah to the Magi. The God's revelation to foreigners, to non-Jewish people. There are some things we can take from this account for us to consider as a church as we enter this new year. The passage tells us of the visitors from the east. It refers to them as magi. They could have been astrologers. They could have come from Persia. Who they were and where they came from exactly, we're not told by Matthew. The time taken for their arrival suggests they came from a distance. And it suggests how persistent they were in their search. We find that they'd come following a star. They'd seen some unusual phenomenon in the skies from which they worked out somehow that it meant the birth of a king. They had come to do homage to the new king of the Jews. It's not impossible that they knew of the expectation of the Messiah figure amongst the Jews. Jewish influence had spread as far as Persia. The Magi, for whatever reason, recognized that there was something important happening. So important that they traveled a long distance and searched for a long time to discover more. And they traveled because they desired to do homage to this special king, to bring him their worship. By contrast, 
we're told that the religious leaders of the Jews had all the right information to hand. They had the promises in scripture, promises the prophets had given them over many years of a Messiah. What did they do with these promises? They sat on them in indifference. They weren't alert with anticipation as they should have been. They had no doubt settled into a comfortable rut. They were not interested in having anyone disturb that. Not even God, who they professed to serve. How keenly are we looking for the signs of God at work? Have we settled into a comfortable rut? Or are we ready to look for what God is doing and to join in with that? It may be something in our own locality. It may be something in the wider church. But if we are keen to move forward with God and his purposes in this coming year, we should look for the signs of him at work. We should then be trying to discern how we can join in with that in the way that he wants of us. One example of that kind of discernment happened at St Paul's Cliftonville. Cliftonville is a very deprived part of Margate. The homeless and other needy people would gather around near the church. The vicar Patrick and his wife Debbie decided to address this need. And so the Ignite project started. Ignite is a midweek evening activity, a kind of cafe-style church. People are welcomed, they are fed, they have games and other activities to join in with, and part of the evening is a gentle introduction to Christianity. The Christian message comes through interactive activities such as drama and quizzes, discussion and films. It's been so successful that it's been replicated in other places of similar need. Also, the Church of England has started to give emphasis to the need for mission at new housing estates. In the Bradford Diocese, a project project called Jesus Shaped People, which helps uh, churches rethink Christian discipleship, has emerged. It emerged in a large and highly disadvantaged social housing estate at Homewood in Bradford. And again, it has successfully spread from there. These are ways that prayerfully discerning the signs of where God is at work can develop into practical action. In the Gospel passage, we're told how the Magi eventually were led to Jesus how they bowed down and worshipped him when they found him. Worship is something essential to our Christian life. William Temple, the late Archbishop of Canterbury, defined worship like this. For worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth the purifying of imagination by his beauty, 
the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. Sir William Temple points out that worship moves us from centering on ourselves. It moves us to look outward. It's getting that priority right. We cannot serve God in our own strength. We start with worship from where we are moved on to discovering his will for us. Selwyn Hughes writes, as an observer of the Christian scene for most of my life, I have noticed that people are more taken up with working for him than worshipping him. But when we put work first and worship second, we get it wrong. The most important aspect and the central focus of the Christian life is not what we can do for him, but what he has done for us. Get that the wrong way round and you will most definitely experience spiritual problems. Sometimes in the past, when I have visited other countries, I've been approached by missionaries who tell me that they're about to be invalided home because of overwork. When talking to them, I find that although they have been working for God, they have lost touch with him in worship. They have been trying to be a spiritual farm or an open flower, but because they did not pursue first and foremost the act of worship, any other things just didn't work out. Part of the Magi's worship was to offer Jesus gifts. The Magi brought very strange gifts for a young child. Gold for a king seems fair enough in recognition of their anticipation of the significance of this child. Incense was something that spoke of priesthood. Maybe something of the spiritual role of the king came through to them, although few of us would offer a two-year-old such gifts. But the last of the gifts seems the most inappropriate for a two-year-old, myrrh, something that spoke of suffering and death, a painkiller used to embalm the dead. But again, their gifts may well have been prophetic, whether they realized it or not, Jesus' purpose in coming was his eventual sacrificial death. Not a death that was intended to appease an angry father who was willing to sacrifice his only son, but a death that was the only thing that could bring God's beloved creatures back into relationship with him. Without this death, humankind was lost. Humankind was doomed to a pointless existence, tossed about by the ups and downs of a dangerous and hostile world. Whether any of the deeper meaning of the gifts were understood by the Magi, we don't know. They certainly wanted to bring this special king something of great value as part of their worship. 
what gift do we each bring in worship to Christ and the building up of his church? It's only as we are prepared to offer the gifts that God has given us in service to him that the church can be built up. We cannot move forward without us all recognising and using our gifts for the good of the church. When I was in Ramsgate, there was someone who had a great gift for hospitality. They would invite people round for Sunday lunch. And that was usually those new to the church or on the margins of the church family. That way, these people were befriended and felt welcomed. And so they were drawn more closely into the church family. Our own welcome here is very important and our team of welcomers play a valuable role. There are also prayer warriors, perhaps some who don't feel physically able to do a lot. But prayer is vital in underpinning all that we do as a church. No one should feel that their gift is insignificant and not worthwhile. Any gift offered in God's service becomes of great value. So as a church family, can we be watching for the signs of God at work? Can we be open and faithful in our worship? Can we offer our gifts to God in his service? Is this new year something to be hopeful about or are we starting it fearfully? The verse quoted by King George VI in his New Year broadcast of 1939 should give us heart. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he said, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That should be to you better than light and safer than the known way. Amen.